0: That surely is an awesome thought. Christ the babe was born for you. Really? Is that true? You know, if that's true, that's the greatest, the goodest, goodest, that's bad English, that's the greatest news. (laughs) There is no news greater if that's true. Well, I'm here to tell you it is true. It is true. So turn with me this morning to uh, Galatians chapter, um, chapter 4, Galatians 4, and we're going to hang out around verses 4 through 7 that Mike has read. And, uh, <clears throat> Mike read uh, a, moment, a moment ago, he read from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians, that was a region, there was multiple churches in Galatia, and he's writing to those New Testament churches and in chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, let me read those again, chapter 4, verse 4 through 7, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. That's And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Paul is obviously referring to Christ's birth. God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. That's what he is referring to. He's referring to that historical event that Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, record so clearly for us. This is Paul's uh, Christmas text, we might say, about the birth of the Lord Jesus. Now, <clears throat> there's six phrases in verses 4 through 7. Six of them. And I want us to think about each of those six phrases. You have an outline there, you can, you can follow us. And I desire that we all understand those six phrases in those verses, but even more than that, I desire that you will see the numerous ways in which those phrases relate to your life. So that's, that's my desire for all of us here, and let's just, let's just go at it. Uh, first phrase, but when the fullness of time had come, well, when time had been filled up, You know, what does that mean, that time had been filled up? It means this. God had a plan regarding the history of our world. And from the beginning, that plan included this stupendous historical event of sending His Son into our world and... The first announcement of that plan actually was in Ray's prayer. Ray prayed and he made reference to the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. That's the first announcement to humanity that God was not caught off guard (laughs) when Adam and Eve rebelled and plunged our human race into sin. This plan that the seed of the woman would come and undo the evil effects of Satan was already in place. That is God's plan. And in the fullness of time, when the right time had come, God would execute that plan. God would send the son sooner. No sooner nor any later than the time that was planned according to his plan. Why didn't he send him sooner? Don't complain. We are to be forever grateful that he sent him at all. Right? Then get into some arrogant... Well, what about all the people before? You know? Now, he has his reasons and in the fullness of time, okay? It was perfect in his mind. This was the perfect time when to send his son. Not sooner, not later. In the fullness of time. He sends his son And all of these other things that needed to be accomplished before he sent him were accomplished. It's God's choosing. The express and the fullness of time is also to be understood in the context of the law and the prophets. We mean our Old Testaments, the law and the prophets. The Old Testament, especially the first five books. They kept promising a king would come and his reign would establish righteousness and peace on the earth. If you read your Old Testament, which you all should be doing, you see over and over again that there's this promise of this king that is going to establish righteousness and peace. Those things go together. Without righteousness, there is no peace. If you establish righteousness, guess what you will establish? Peace. And there's this figure on the pages of the Law and the Prophets that is going to do this, not only for Israel and the Jewish people, but for the whole world. Okay? And so the fullness of time is to be understood in this context, this promised king of righteousness and peace. And, and that moment, so long. They're waiting, waiting for this. But it has come. The expression, the fullness of time, means that the time for the promises to be fulfilled has come. That's what it means. The time for the promises. The time for the big promise. That time has come. So the big promise, and the big promise is, the Father would what? Send His Son into our world. That's the big promise. And that He would send Him into our world to live and die and rise again. And in so doing, He would work out the redemption for humanity. The big promise, the time had come in the fullness of time. That had come. The first words of Jesus, the first words of Jesus which Mark records in his gospel are these. Listen to these. Mark chooses this to be the first saying of Jesus that he puts in his gospel. That's not an accident, okay? Mark thought about the gospel authors. They think about Christ, And they think about how they're going to write their Gospels. And they have all this gigantic material to choose from. And they're going to boil it down to 20 or 30 pages. And so no doubt Mark intentionally chose these as the first words of Jesus he would put in his Gospel. And he quotes Jesus saying this, when Jesus began his public ministry, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. There. That's how Peter Mark started it. The time is fulfilled. That's Paul's in the fullness of time, isn't it? Absolutely it is. The time for the promise to be fulfilled has come. And in this case... It's the kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. Why? Because the king is at hand. That's why. The kingdom has come because the king has come. That's what Mark is saying. The inbreaking of the righteous kingdom of Messiah has now broke into our human history. That kingdom is here. The king is here, and he is going to inaugurate that kingdom that it produces righteousness and peace. That time has come, and and praise God. <clears throat> and so, the, what should be our response to that? Repentance and faith. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. What should you and I do since the time has? been fulfilled. What should you do? Right here. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's what we should do since the time has been fulfilled. And that, of course, is God's great invitation to humanity. He's saying, I haven't sent my son here to destroy you. I sent my son here to call you back. You've all turned your backs on me. And I'm sending my son into the world to invite you through him to repent and come back to me. That's right. That's exactly right. Repentance is an invitation God says, the door's open. Come on back. And I will receive you and redeem you and forgive your sins and transform your life. Repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in the good news. Turn back to me and believe in the good news that Jesus Christ has came into the world to save sinners. Hey, that ought to be the human response to the fullness of time. It's right there at the opening of Mark's gospel. He goes, I'm writing my gospel to show you that the fullness of time has come and that God is now calling you all to repent and believe in the good news. Isn't that wonderful? Okay, we could stop right, we're done. <laughs> so, <clears throat> second phrase from Paul. We're moving on to the second phrase. But, but when the fullness of time had come, phrase number two, God sent forth His Son. Let's dwell on that. God and His Son existed prior to the creation of the world. The Son existed prior to the manger. Okay? The Son's existence doesn't begin with the birth in the manger. The Son and the Father existed prior to the manger. (laughs) They existed prior to the creation of the world. Okay? Before time was, time's a created thing by the way, we know that. Time is time is created. It's part of the creation. Okay? We 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 study physics, we know that. Time is a created thing. Father and son are timeless. Timeless. Okay? They 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 they're outside of this created thing. And Father and Son existed prior To the creation of time and space and material and all that. And they what? Come into. Okay? They created this world, time and space, and they exist outside of it. And now, this most amazing thing, the sun is what? Sent into our world from this timeless realm to our world. God, what, sent forth His Son. Uh, just prior to Jesus' return to the Father, actually, as Jesus prayed to the Father, Jesus prayed this way, And now, O Father, glorify me together with Yourself, with the glory which I had with You before the world was. Got it? Okay. Jesus, very conscious that as the Son of God, He existed before the world existed. And that He came into this world, and now He is returning after He's risen from the dead. And He says, Father, glorify Me with Yourself, with the glory which I had with You before the world was. Okay? So we have Father and Son in eternity, in, in the timeless past, okay? We, can't, we don't... Ex, ex, forget it. <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, uh, they existed in the timeless realm of existence. Let, let me express it that way. We won't say eternity past because time is not eternal, okay? They are eternal. There's this timeless realm of existence that God alone inhabits, right? And by God's grace, you and I, in Christ, are going to inhabit that too, one day. That's right. So, uh, God sent forth His Son. Now, um, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth from that timeless realm of existence, Son, into our world, into our world realm of existence God sent forth his son so we have two persons there don't we we have father and son that are involved in this good news third a third saying here third part God sent forth his son born of a woman born of a woman the son's arrival among us came in the most startling of ways uh, a child, a baby, an infant, born of a woman. I mean, why didn't he send Gabriel, you know? People fall down thinking he's God. <laughs> I mean, he's so glorious. I mean, or, or an angel or one of those 24 elders around the throne and all these different, you know, why didn't he send Joshua, full-grown, or David, Right? Didn't do that. God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. It's a startling way for the eternal Son of God, the timeless Son of God, to enter, born of a woman. What could this manner of coming of the Son of God possibly mean? What can that mean? Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 3.16, And this is an early Christological confession of faith. Listen to this. What could that birth possibly mean? Quote, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, Believed on in the world. Taken up in glory. Oh, wow. This is... uh, This is so pregnant. (laughs) So full. Notice, we're not going to go through this. Some of this statement is a little difficult to understand. But notice how it begins. He who was revealed in the flesh. What do you think that's a reference to? The birth, that's a reference to the incarnation, the birth. He being the Son was revealed what in the flesh, meaning human nature. And look at where it ends. Taken up in glory, what is that? The ascension. That's the ascension of Jesus Christ after he rose from the dead. We have here a summary of the birth, life, death, an ascension back to glory of the Son in this early confession of faith of the Christian church. It's just awesome. I just like reading that. The first on that confession is the incarnation. He who was revealed, He, that Son, is now manifested in the flesh, in our human nature. There, there you have it. Okay? That's what it means. Born of a woman. That's what it means. That's what it means. And so both of these expressions, born of a woman, revealed in the flesh, they are emphasizing the true humanity of Jesus Christ. He's fully human in every way that you are human except He is without sin. Other than that, He is fully human, exactly like you and I. Okay? And yet at the same time, He is the timeless, equal with God, Son. Yes, great is the mystery (laughs) as the confession starts. That is a mystery, isn't it? It's profound. okay. And the confession, it starts out that way. Great is the mystery. Only God thinks this kind of stuff up. Uh, this Bible is no human production. <laughs> Absolutely not. We are connecting with the mind of God as we study the Word of God about His Son. You realize that? We are connecting with the mind of God as we study the Word of God about His Son. That's, that's just wonderful. <clears throat> so, born of a woman. So, let's keep on going. Born of a woman, born under the law. Born of a woman, born under the law. Now, the next two statements take a bit more work to understand, okay? You probably go, wow, man. (laughs) You were stretching my brain on the first two, the first three. Well, your brain was created to be stretched, okay? You can use all of it in knowing the Lord. Every bit of your intellectual faculties ought to be used that way, by the way. Love God with what? All your heart, what else? All your soul and all your mind. And all your mind, okay? So let's do some loving God with our minds as we grapple with these expressions. Expression number four, born, born of a woman, born under the law. Expression number four, born under the law. Now, being fully human, as we all are, and as Jesus himself is, always means being born under God's law. If you are human, then you have been born under God's law. Think about that. Nobody escapes this. Being human means you are born under God's law. Think about that. That's part of what it means to be human. The animals are not born under God's law. The bugs are not born under God's law. The creepy crawlers aren't born under God's law. The chimpanzees are not born under God's law. But you are, and I am, We sustain an entirely different relationship to God our Creator compared to any other creature in the world. And that's expressed in this expression. We are born under God's law. We are under His authority. Okay? We are under His authority. And so was Jesus. Jesus was born under God's law just as we are. Jesus lived obediently to God's law whereas everyone else including all of us have disobeyed God's law repeatedly. God's law also contains not only what we ought to do And what we ought not to do, God's law also contains a just condemnation and punishment of those who violate His law. And that's every one of us sitting in this building this morning. God punishes those who break His law. Okay? It's shocking. Initially, you hate to hear that. But it's soberingly real. God condemns and punishes those who break His law. He told Adam and Eve that. In the day that you eat of it, what? You shall surely die. That's the condemnation and the punishment. Okay? Born under God's law. Now, Jesus being born under the law required him to obey the law or be condemned and punished if Jesus violated the law, which he never did. Jesus fully obeyed the law, never violated it, always did the will of his Father. And he lived that as a real, true human being. Okay? Him being the Son of God did not make it easier for him to obey God's law. He obeyed that law as a genuine, true, sinless human being. And all those temptations were real, and he said no to them. He was perfect, spotless. And there was a reason why he was doing this, and we'll see that in the phrases that come. Now here's where the good news starts to come sharply into focus. Why are the father and son going through all this trouble? Establishing the plan and then filling that plan up. Sending forth the son to be born of a woman. Having him be born under the law. Why are they doing all of this? Well here's why in the fifth phrase. Jesus was born under the law. To redeem those who were under the law. That's why, excuse me, that's why they are doing all this. The purpose of all of this is to redeem. That's the big word. That's the deliverance word. That's the salvation word. To redeem those who were under the law. That's us. <laughs> Praise God. We're in there, right? See, you're in there. All right? God sent His Son, what? To redeem those who are under the law. Hey, hallelujah, that's me. That's me. <laughs> I'm in there. And I'm being told that God sent His Son under the law, to redeem a guy like me who is under the law. That's the good news, isn't it? There's a song, we sing it, There is a Redeemer, right? Jesus, God's own Son. This is the text for that song. So, then, well, why do those under the law need to be redeemed? That's a a good question. Paul gives two answers to that question. Why those under the law need to be redeemed. The first he gave earlier in chapter 3, which Mike read. Those under the law need to be redeemed because... As many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. Under the curse. For it is written. Prove that, Paul. Okay. For it is written what? Cursed is everyone, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So, you're under the law, there's this thing called the book of the law, and when we don't do everything that's in there, that's required of us, then we are under God's condemnation or curse. And look at what he said, cursed is everyone who does not, now listen to this, who does not continue in, okay, that doesn't mean, well, I obeyed on Sunday, can I slack off on Monday, Tuesday, no. Cursed is everyone what, who does not continue, well, for how long? Well, your entire life. So so what's required here is a perpetual obedience to God's law. Shouldn't you always, boys, shouldn't you always respect your father? That's right. You're right, Jacob. You should always respect your father. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you should always respect your father and your mother all the time. Well, what about God? Should we always respect him? Yes. Continue in. A few of the commands? No. Continue in. Jacob, should you obey your father when he tells you something about the field? Should you obey your father when he tells you something about in the house? Yeah. In all things, right? You should... Obey your Father in all things. To continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So, being under the law means what is required to satisfy God's standard is this perfect, perpetual obedience. Okay, it's a PPO, okay? And boy do you boy do we need a great physician, all right? Sorry, but <laughs> we need a PPO, don't we? That's <laughs> yes, if you know about health insurance. Perfect perpetual obedience. We do need a great physician because we have not, we have not kept the law, have we? Under the law, none of us have kept it. Right? And so <clears throat> we need to be redeemed because of this judicial curse or condemnation. Now, now, you know, understand, this is a judicial curse. That is, it's a matter of holy, pristine, glorious justice. That's, that's what this is a matter. It's about justice. And, and God would have to un-God himself to ignore his justice he would have to ungod himself to ignore his justice and you know where the proof of that is christ crucified is a demonstration of the righteousness of god you see what i'm saying the very fact that Christ is crucified bearing the wrath of God, tells you he makes no compromise on justice. There's been no compromise on what he told Adam and Eve, that in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. There's been no compromise. There's simply been the provision of a substitute the Son of God, who does die under the curse of the law and fulfill God's righteousness. That's the issue. Righteousness, that's the issue. And God is uncompromising on that. And that cross and Jesus upon it, under that judicial curse of the law, is the proof of that. That's the world you and I live in under the eye of God. Okay? That's why you and I need to be redeemed. We need to be redeemed. We need to be rescued, delivered out of this judicial curse. That's it. We need to be redeemed from this judicial curse. That's the first aspect of redemption. But there's a second. There's a second reason why those under the law need to be redeemed. And this is the most complicated one to understand. When we live under the law, we are enslaved to the power of sin. We can't stop sinning when we are living under the law. We won't take the time this morning to consider this in detail. Perhaps we'll do it some Wednesday evening or some other time But Thomas Schreiner is correct regarding the Galatians 4 context and how to understand the effects of being under the law. The effects are greater than just judicial curse. That's what I'm saying. The effects of being under the law have another dimension. And that is is we are enslaved to the power of sin. To be under the law is to be under a power of sin that we cannot throw off. Schreiner has this quote, quote, We should note how Paul connects being under law, under sin, and under the elements of the world. And those all three are connected and under the elements of the world is going to relate to being under the dominion and bondage of sin. Paul's teaching is this, being under the law produces enslavement to sinning. This is really important. Ah, and we 're not going to go into it all <laughs> but but being under the law produces enslavement to sinning. Note his reasoning in Galatians five Those of you who who know your Bible well enough, so i don 't have to go through it right now we don 't have time but you 'll get this. His reasoning in Galatians five is that those who are led by the spirit are not under the law and thus they are emancipated from slavery to sin. That's the argument in in Galatians 5. Led by the Spirit, you're led not to be under the law, and that results in your emancipation from bondage to sin. So, that being under the law leads to being enslaved to the power of sin is most clear in Paul's teaching in Romans. And here's one example. Romans 7, verses 5 through 6. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were, what? Aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death those that think the law is going to save them are out of their minds. That's Paul's message in Romans 7. Paul says, the law is going to inflame your passions of sin. And he says, while we are in that state, while we, while we for when we were in the flesh, that's without the Spirit of God, unregenerated. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered. Listen, delivered from the law. He actually... Now, Paul loves the law, (laughs) and he actually says, but guys, there's this sense that you need to be delivered from the law. Because to be under the law is that which promotes more sin. And he goes so far in that text to say, we need to be delivered from the law if we are ever going to stop Sinning. That's radical, but it's true. Hey? Okay? But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by. How did that happen? How did we die to the law? How does that happen? Born of a woman. Born under the law. Okay? That's how we died to the law. By being united to Jesus Christ. That's how we died to the law. In his death. But now we have been delivered from the law having died to what we were held by. So that we should serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. We need to be redeemed from under the law to be delivered from the bondage of practicing sin. In Paul's theology of sanctification, you must die to the law in order to be delivered from the power of sin. And dying to the law is exactly what happens when we are united by faith with Jesus who died under the law. Romans 7, verse 4, back up. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law, what? Through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another to him who has raised to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God there you go we died to the law because through the body of christ got it okay christ's death does not only serve the basis of forgiveness and justification Christ's death is the basis of emancipation from serving sin. That is, The the, the cross is not only the foundation of justification and forgiveness, it's the foundation of sanctification. It's the foundation of transformation. You can read it in Romans 6 and in Romans 8 and in Colossians 2 the power of the cross is that which justifies and that which transforms okay and so we need to be redeemed from being under the law because to be under the law it stirs up more sin and we cannot be freed while we cannot be freed while we're under the law which is why it's crazy for a Christian to try to go back under the law, the Galatians are losing it. I mean, they're losing it, okay, in Galatia over this matter, okay. So that's the uh, second thing here. All right, oh, we got to move on. Uh, so let me just summarize the the redemption, the redemption in Christ. Re- The redemption in Christ will deliver you from the curse of the law. That means forgiveness. And the redemption in Christ will deliver you from being a slave and a captive of sinning. You know, are you you disgusted with yourself enough to want to be delivered? (laughs) If you say, yes, I've got great news for you. That's what Jesus Christ is all about. That's what this redemption is all about. To forgive you and to transform you. We don't have any power to do that. He has the power to do it. That's why He is the Redeemer. So we come now to the sweetest part. The sweetest part of all of this. Why did Father, Son, and Holy Spirit... Hold on. The Holy Spirit, He's not mentioned in the text. Oh, yes, He is. Where? Born of a woman. There. There's the Holy Spirit, okay? He's in the text. It's the Holy Spirit that conceived the Son of God in the womb to a, to a human nature. He's there. Born of a woman. Why did Father, Son, and Holy Spirit... When the fullness of time had come, do all of this. The text tells us, we reach it here, that we might receive the adoption as sons. That's why they did it. That you and I might become The sons and daughters of this wonderful God, of this glorious God, who created us spotless and perfect, and then we fell and mucked it all up, and he goes, you know what, I'm still going to make them my sons and daughters. Because I still want a relationship with them. I want a relationship with them. Don't you fathers want a relationship with your sons? Moms, dads, don't you want a relationship with your children? It's the, mo- it's, it's the most wonderful thing in life, isn't it? It is. God's no different. He did all this, what, that we might receive the adoption as sons. We the lawbreakers? Yes. We the authority despisers? Yes. The Father sends His Son into our world to be born of a woman and rejects His Son. The judicial curse... To make a way that you and I can become His sons and daughters. What is this? He sends His Son into the world, born of a woman, and then what? Rejects Him! Rejects Him! Under that judicial curse! And He does that! So you and I can become His sons and daughters! Do you understand that? I hope you do. And if you haven't until this morning, I hope you do this morning. And if you haven't repented and believed, I hope you do this morning. It's the goodness of God that breaks your heart like the prodigal son and says, you know what? (laughs) I'm going to get up. And I'm going to go back to my father. That's repentance. And I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And then you know what the father does? Son, look at the adoption papers. I've adopted you back. They're signed. It's done. You are worthy to be called my son. And it cannot be undone. It's, I'm, I'm adopting you back. It's done. That's right. That's wonderful. That we might receive the adoption as sons. Adoption is a relational word. Uh, a lot of the words of salvation have different, different purposes. Justification is a legal word. Okay, propitiation has to do with appeasing God's wrath. Redemption is a bought back at a terrible infinite price. Redemption to be bought back. Those words are wonderful words. They're not relational words directly. But these two words, adoption and reconciliation, are relational words. God is personal. And He's calling us back to be in this wonderful relationship with Him. It's secure. It's eternal. Reconciliation. The judicial is gone. The judicial curse is all gone. The judicial condemnation is all gone. It's all gone. It's gone. Okay? And we're no longer slaves. We're now sons and daughters. Adoption, relational word. So, and because you are sons, and because you are sons, Paul goes on now, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You know, that's what happens when people are converted. Prior to conversion, all we like sheep have turned aside and gone our own way. So if God's over there, I'm going to walk on the other side of the street. <laughs> okay? If we're going to cross each other on the street, man, I'm, I'm crossing before he gets too close. We're all born that way. I don't want to have any... Just like, the, just like the prodigal son, right? I'm out of here, man. Give me my inheritance and I'm out of here, right? Okay? That's right. But when we're converted and we're adopted, the Holy Spirit does this wonderful work in us. And all of a sudden we turn around and we say, Father, Father. We say, Father, Father. Just like that prodigal. And it's real. It's real. Conversion, the work of the Holy Spirit, suddenly you approach God, not simply as God, you approach Him as Father. Just as Jesus taught us to pray. Our what? Father. The Holy Spirit's involved in that. We cry out, Abba, Father. And we cling to Him. Okay? That's conversion. It's, it's, in one ways, it's completely all profound. In other ways, it's very simple. But it's based on the good news. It's based on what is summarized in those six phrases that I, I have just gone through you with. So, this is a new experience, a real experience. We enjoy the privilege of being God's sons and daughters. No privilege is greater than being part of God's family. The Father says, I want you in my family. I want you part of my family. Amen, Abba Father. Thomas Schreiner, one sentence. He has freed us from the sin that enslaves us and granted us His Spirit so that we can embrace Him as our beloved Father. You, you, you want to know when you see the, the finger of the Holy Spirit? You know, what it, you know You know how you see it? That expression. We, will, we embrace Him as our Father. When we rebel sinners that we've been all of a sudden embrace God as our Father, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what Schreiner said there in that statement. And I trust, and our conversion experiences are different, and we have to be careful not to make a particular type of conversion experience the norm. But if you're a believer here this morning, it doesn't matter if you've been raised in a Christian home or if you've lived on the street or wherever you have been up to this point. If you're a believer here this morning, you know sometime in your experience this changed on the inside. And sometime you went from obeying God externally Doing these things which are all good and right. And sometime along the way, it became Abba, Father. As you understood the cross. (laughs) You understand that cross and why that's being done. So that He might adopt you when you understand that. Somewhere in your experience, there is a transition in how you relate to God. And likely that's when you were saved. Okay? Praise God. He sent His Son into the world. Let me read the verse and then we'll, and then we'll close. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, praise be to your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, here we stand, Lord, in this grace in this redemption, in this awful price, that the Lord Jesus, being born under the law, dying under your judicial curse that we individually so richly deserve, that you might make us your sons and your daughters. Father, as Paul said, this is past finding out the height and the depth of this, Lord, help us see it more clearly. Lord Jesus, send your Holy Spirit. Pour him out upon us as individuals and churches and even the world as you did on Pentecost. And thank you for the invitation to repent and believe. Thank you, Father and Lord Jesus, for that invitation directed to every one of us. We come because you call and invite us. We pray in your awesome name, Lord Jesus. Amen.